Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. glad that you're here. Hey, apparently there's a football game this weekend. Anybody heard uh, the football game? Yeah. Uh, Just a show of hands, uh, by the way, who's watching the game uh, later on today? Quite a few of you. Okay, awesome. Who will simply be watching the game for the commercials? Show of hands, my commercial people. How many of you could care less about the sports? Okay, yes. Okay, awesome. Cool. Well, hey, it's a good thing that there is more to life than football. Amen. And around here, that means, of course, our Super Bowl food drive that you heard mentioned. And whether you're worshiping with us online this morning or you're here in the room, you are a part of that. Believe it or not, our lobby has been packed with food long before Super Bowl Sunday today. So praise God for that, for all the donations that have been brought in. We're so thankful for that. It is a great day to worship. It's a great day to be the church uh, together. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't had a chance to connect yet, would love to do that as well. But here's what I love uh, about uh, things like the Super Bowl food drive that we do every year at all of our campuses. It's one thing to say, wow, look at all that food. That's amazing. What I want to bring it down is to the why behind the what today with that and uh, did a little research this week. And just in Polk County alone, do you know that every single day there are over 41,000 people that struggle with food insecurity? And 13,000 or more of those are children. And when I think about that, it changes everything for me. It changes who we are as a church. It changes why we do the things that we do. This isn't a mission project. There are men and women and children that are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. And if they should be wondering that, I don't want that to be happening anywhere near our church. That we are known as a church far and wide, believe it or not, that has given out over 75,000 meals over the last year. So praise God for that. That's why we do what we do. It, It brings it home. It makes it personal of why we do what we do. Because here's the thing. We are called to care for ourselves to get filled up so that we can spill out, so that we can overflow into the world around us. Because the reality is, because the truth is for every single one of us that we can't give away what we don't have. Amen? Oh, I know you're the nine o'clock service, but amen? Okay, this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Okay, wanted to make sure you're with me. So we can't give away what we don't have. And that's why we've jumped into this sermon series that we kicked off last week called Taking Care of You. And I, some of you may think, well, this, is, this doesn't jive with all the other things we've talked about as a church, that we're an outward-focused church. We're focused on serving the community around us. But here's the reality. You can only give what you have. Hurt people hurt people, right? And healed people heal people. Healthy people are able to share health with the world around them. And so that's why we're talking about this series. Because the reality is, if we are honest with ourselves, every single one of us has some things in our lives this morning when you walked in here that are going on underneath the surface. Every single one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, is who we are because of the things in our lives that are underneath the surface, that are underneath the hood. 
Speaking of football, a few years ago, a good friend of, of mine and I were uh, taking a road trip. Uh, we were headed to God's country to an Iowa football game, and uh, <laughs> just had to have the dramatic pause in there. Some of you like some of you are like, I know where this is going if you've been around Hope Elam before. So uh, it's been several years, but this was the last time that we were going to a Hawkeye game. Super excited. And so we're in my uh, awesome, uh, at the time, 2006 Honda CRV, which I affectionately call my PUV, my pastor utility vehicle. So uh, we're driving and, you know, riding style. And so we get about halfway where we got the radio cranked up. We're listening to uh, Gary Dolphin in the pregame show uh, for the game. We get about halfway to Iowa City, and all of a sudden, uh, Eric, I'm sorry about this. This is what I hear. Coming from underneath my hood. Did you get that? Exactly like that. And my buddy that's with me goes, hey, did you hear that sound? And as any dude would say, I would go, what sound uh, is coming? He's like, there's a, he's trying to imitate it. Now I'm like rapping or something. Um, coming from underneath my hood. And he said, maybe you should listen to that. And so he turns the, the radio down. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a little interesting. I've, I've never heard that before. Now, in that moment, I have three choices. Where, you know, there's some stretches on the way in I-80 where there's literally nothing, right, before you get to Iowa City and that area. And so I have three choices in that moment. I can just, you know, ignore it and just say, I'm sure it'll be fine. I've got a Honda, probably going to put 400,000 miles on it and just drive it into the ground, so I'm sure it'll be fine. Or I can, uh, you know, pull over and do what a sensible person would do and maybe check and see what's going on so we don't get stranded, you know, and, and find the nearest gas station. That would be a smart, wise thing to do. Or I could just turn up the radio a little bit louder so I can't hear it, and then I don't have to deal with the noise underneath my hood. And what option do you think I chose that day? Option number three, because we got to get to Iowa City. we got to get to the game. So I just turn it up a little bit louder. I say, hey, should we put on some music? And say, yeah, let's put on some music. So we just turned it up, and then, I have, it didn't, you know, then we can just ignore it. Well, needless to say, we made it to the game. Everything was fine. But I had a large large bill from the mechanic when I got home. The, the car was not in good shape when we made it all the way back to Des Moines that day. And in the same way, every single one of us is on the road of life. Every single one of us is on this journey, and along the way, from time to time, we hear, and we hear those sounds coming not from under the hood, but under the surface in our own hearts. And they're not issues to do with the engine or the belts or anything like that. They come in the form of pain or grief or wounds or insecurities or doubts or fears, failures, things that we've done to others, things that have been done to us. Maybe there are things that are right there on the surface this morning. Feelings of being overwhelmed, anxiety, depression, whatever those things are, and we can go and, and on our journey of life in the same way on my road trip to Iowa City, you and I have some choices. We can pull over. We can invite God into those places that are underneath the hood. Or we can just turn the radio up and pretend it's not there. A lot of us have spent a lot of our adult Christian lives pretending that it's not there so we can put on the happy face, especially at church. But a lot of us have done that other option we just turn up the volume so that we don't have to slow down and deal with it. 
And it's not just loud music, but the volume in our lives comes in the form of clutter and of busyness. Because if I just fill my day, if I just fill my time with more and more stuff, and I just keep going, and I just stay on that treadmill, then I don't have to deal with the pain. A lot of us never slow down because we're afraid of what we'll find. A lot of us never look under the hood of our own hearts. And yet King Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live in Proverbs chapter 4, says, above all else. Everybody say, all else. That means above anything else. (laughs) Anything else you're doing, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Not above all else, do everything, and then if you have time, care for yourself, care for your soul, care for your heart, but above all else. We are called to self-care. We are called to slow down and sometimes ask those tough questions. And why, 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 why are we called to slow down? Because it's the things that are usually underneath the surface that can cause the most damage in our lives. And the danger is, is that those things left unaddressed cut us off from the life that Jesus has for us. And I know that there's some of you sitting there right now, whether you're online, whether you're home this morning in your pajamas, all cuddly on the couch, or whether you're here in the room, you're a part of our family, it would be very easy at this point in the sermon to go, ah, I've been in enough church services, this is the feelings sermon. Well, I'm not really a feelings person, I just like to come and do church, and other people can deal with the feeling stuff, but that's not me. But before you write that off, let me make it very practical for you. Because I know some of you don't want to go to the feelings route, but you are very committed in your marriage, you're very committed to your family, maybe to your parenting, you're very committed in your workplace, like, what does that mean for me in a very practical sense? Here's what I've learned about leaving unaddressed things underneath the hood in our hearts. You want to have an awesome marriage? I am fully convinced that when you meet a special someone, romance might bring you together. All the butterflies. Soul work is going to keep you together. Maybe the most important thing that you could do for your marriage is stop, pull off the road, and look under the hood of your own heart. The couples that I know that have the deepest relationships have been the ones that have taken their own soul training the most serious. Not, I'm here to fix you, and that's the point of the marriage, but God, what do you want to do in me so that I can become the healthiest partner that I can for them? When it comes to parenting, why do we need to do some work underneath the surface? Because you reproduce who you are and not who you want to be. Whew. Some of you are like, I should have worn my boots this morning because we're going deep. Just going to let that one sit for a second. We all have aspirations of who we want to be and who we think our kids are watching every day, even your grown adult kids. But you reproduce who you are. And who you truly are is what's underneath the surface. And last but not least, for those of you like, ah, feelings, how about your job? Competency, your giftedness might have got you in the room. Because you're a charismatic, gifted person, and you've got titles and credentials and a resume that could wrap around this building. It's character that's going to keep you in the room to finish well. You want to get practical? I've never met a leader that set out to crash and burn 10 years before retirement. I've never met an employee that says, I want to get the job, but then I want to have a moral failure along the way. 
So this pulling over on the side of the road and taking some inventory of what's under the hood, this isn't just for the feelings, people. This is for all of us. Anybody that's serious about following Jesus is that he cares about all of those places in our hearts. Fake it till you make it has no room in the life of a follower of Jesus. Amen? I know it sounds cute. I'll just fake it till you make it. It, it, it irks me to no end. Do you want to get under my skin? Is parents that say, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> you reproduce who you are, not the game that you talk. And that's pointing the finger right back at me as well. So if you want to get really, really practical, I think this is for all of us. I can't remember the last time I went up to somebody and I said, hey, how's it going? And somebody responded, I am doing awesome. I get 11 hours of sleep at night. I am totally rested. I'm so refreshed. I have this great rhythm to my life and, 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 and how everything works out. I have these really balanced days. I've done some really good healing work with the counselor. I'm all healed up from all my pains and wounds in the past. I know how my family system and my origin have affected me and the decisions that I make today. I am doing awesome. How about you? Not so much, right? And our giggles speak to the point. It is possible to be a full-time church attendee and a part-time disciple if large areas of our lives remain untouched by Jesus. Mainly our mind and our body and our emotions. And any of those that I just mentioned are just as spiritual as anyone else. Well, the good news is that God's word speaks directly into our lives. God's word has something to say about those noises and those issues and those unresolved things underneath the hood. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's read it together and nice and loud this morning. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. Holy and whole. Everybody say holy. holy. Everybody say whole. whole. Holy and whole. And those words are not chosen on accident. Holy and whole. And I don't know what your upbringing was in the church, but sometimes it can get a little lopsided when we focus only on the first part of that. We focus only on our holiness, and yet we have people that are just crumbling underneath the surface because the reality is I can spit God's word left and right but I can have a heart that's left unchanged I can know God's word inside and out and not be truly changed on the inside I can look holy on the outside but be far from whole and put together emotionally and physically and mentally on the inside I can sing songs on Sunday and I can lack integrity at my job on Monday God is interested in all of you. And when God created you, he created a whole, complex, yet put-together being. And every single part of that is important. Your relational life, socially, interpersonally, emotionally, yes, for sure, spiritually, but also physically and emotionally. And to push any of those aside is to deny our humanity. Jesus doesn't just care about your spiritual life. He cares about your life. He wants all of you. Every single aspect. And if your heart is a house, some of us have let Jesus in the front door and said, stay right there in the foyer. That's it. 
because all the other rooms and all the other doors are shut. You can have access to those parts of my life, but let's not go, let's not go to my relationships, Jesus. That's my marriage. That's my, my, that's my dating life. Let's not go into the room that has my finances in it. Let's not go into the room that has the abuse that happened to me when I was in college, because that's a little bit too sensitive. Let's not go to that, that place that determines my future and my job and all that. I'll just, that'll be a real practical life. Jesus is interested in all of your life, and he cares about you. One of my favorite authors, Parker Palmer, puts it this way. I love how he talks about self-care. He says this, self-care is never a selfish act. I'm just going to pause there for a second. Chances are, if you're like me, there might be some other pleasers in the room. And that statement is rubbing you the wrong way. No, John, I'm supposed to burn myself out trying to meet the demands and expectations of everybody else in my life. That's the most Christian thing to do. I don't see that anywhere in God's word. Self-care is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others me. You see, self-care will only make sense when we can talk about that person that's looking back at you in the mirror. Pastor Hurst unpacked that for us last week to remind you of the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as... Love your neighbor as... Jesus is assuming that if we love ourselves, that most likely that you like yourself. And it is very, very hard to have the internal desire and motivation to care for yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually if you don't like the person looking back at you. God loves you. And some of you need to receive that this morning to tear the walls down and believe the truth about yourself that you are God's beloved, you are his masterpiece, you were put, purchased with a price on the cross, you are his treasure, you are valuable, and you are worth fighting for. Amen? You are worth being taken care of. This whole series isn't going to make sense to you if you don't believe that. Oh, that's for some people. I've got a lot of duty and obligation and expectations that I need to live up to in my life because I want to please everybody and make everybody happy and I don't want to let anybody down because if I get off the treadmill, then I don't know who I am. And Jesus says, no, there's a different way to live. It's called good stewardship. Jesus cares about your grief. Jesus cares about your physical health. Jesus cares about your depression and your mental health. He cares about your anxiety that we're going to talk about next week. Jesus is very, very interested in all those aspects of your life. And most importantly, Jesus wants to fill you up in your soul today. He wants to fill up your spiritual tank. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that because we want to, to care for our souls, because we want to look under the hood, because we want to guard our own hearts and all these things below the surface, Jesus doesn't point us to the latest tip or technique or the latest fad or the latest trend or the seven steps to this or the 10 steps to that. All throughout the gospels, Jesus looks at people and says, are you hurting? Are you lonely? You got some baggage from the past? You got some wounds, you got some emotional wounds, you got some physical wounds from the past. Have you been burned? Have you been hurt? Bring it to me, Jesus says. I'm not going to point you anywhere else 
because you want to get filled up on the level of your soul, you have to come to me. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 11. Let's read it nice and loud together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know about you, but I could use some of that. Amen? I could use some rest for my soul. These past two years have been brutal, haven't they been? What have you done with all the emotions and all the angst and all the anxiety and for some of you the anger that's come up over the last couple years? Because there's two things that happen when we experience negative emotions. We either stuff it or we inflict it. And if you stuff it down for long enough, it's eventually going to be inflicted. And it's usually at the people that you love the most. When are you going to pull over and look under the hood and figure out where that noise is coming from in your life? Here's the danger. This is what I hear a lot of people in the church say. No, 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 John, you don't understand. Let's not go there. That's just the way that I am. Is it? And how do you know? That's just the way that I am. That's the way that Jesus created you is to be a constant people pleaser. Jesus created you to just burn the, burn the candle at both ends and just constantly be burnt out. I don't, I don't see that anywhere. Well, that's just the way I am. Is it the way you are or is it the story? Is it the narrative that you've been telling yourself to make sense of the world for most of your adult life? Jesus said, I want to reverse that cycle. Why do you say the things you say and why do you do the things that you do? Is the pace of your life the one that Jesus is inviting you into, or is it the one that pleases everybody else? The one that your family of origin handed you. Slow down and take some time to look under the hood. And so our focus today is, last week we talk, focused on our physical health, this week we're looking at our spiritual health. How do we fill up our spiritual tank? And better yet, what are some of the habits, and dare I say disciplines, that are going to help us care for ourselves in a spiritual sense that's going to fill us up on a soul level? What is the kind of life that Jesus is inviting us into? Now, I know when I say spiritual disciplines, let's just have a show of hands. Who's with me? Who wants to take a couple days with me and do some spiritual disciplines? Anybody? Not so much, right? Sign me up for another to-do list, Pastor John. I, I'm so excited about that. If you could place some heavy burdens and a little bit more guilt and pressure and shame upon me, that I could be a little bit better Christian because I'm not very good, and I need to pray more and read my Bible more and have better church attendance and join 17 small groups, and then I'll be a better Christian, sign me up for a list of spiritual disciplines. Who is with me, anybody? And I think that that speaks to our problem. Well, before you write it off, I think it's important to understand what spiritual disciplines are not. It's not this heavy burden, this dry, boring, and irrelevant thing that we're called to do. And to illustrate that point of what spiritual disciplines are not, we turn to our friends at Monty Python. Take a look. Okay, first of all, for some of you, you're sitting there thinking, can I laugh in church? Is it okay to laugh? Yes, it's absolutely okay to laugh. It's, if you can't remember the last time you laughed in church, it's been way too long, right? Secondly, uh, fun fact for you, that is actual live uh, footage that Ryan, our, uh, our video coordinator, took of men's ministry yesterday. They're actually doing that down in the... I'm just kidding. That's fun. That's one way to get God's word into your head, right? 
That if we're honest, some of us think of it in that way. John, I, I, it's 2022. Uh, who really has time for spiritual disciplines and doing that every single day? I mean, I'm not planning on becoming a monk. Certainly, I'm not planning on becoming a nun. I'm just an ordinary Christian. Hate to break it to you. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian. There are Christians. There are people that have been saved by grace through faith that have the spirit of the living God living inside of you, or you don't. That's what a Christian is, and every single one of you is that this morning. God has called you to that kind of a life. And this is where we get tripped up. I don't even want to preach a sermon on all the the list of things that we're called to do because that's not why you came to church today. That's not why you came to get more stuff to add to your to-do list. I want to back it up and I want to talk about the inner motivation that comes behind that. Because for you and I, when we're making goals or making resolutions, I could send you home with a whole list of things to do. But it's not going to go anywhere, and I'm speaking from personal experience because I struggle with this as well. Every single one of us has different layers. When we make goals or resolutions or decisions, there's multiple layers to that. Every single one of us has things that we want to accomplish. There is a what to our lives. Everybody say what. It could be the New Year's resolutions that you had. It could be eating right. It could be exercise. It could be spiritual disciplines. I want to pray every day. I want to start a Bible reading plan. That's the what. A lot of us have no problem coming up with a list of the what's, and we have no problem coming up with the how. Everybody say how. And this is how I'm going to do that. Some of us never get to that step. Physical, personal trainers would tell you to move from the what to the how is a really big step. I want to get in shape. You want to join a gym? No. Do you own any piece of exercise equipment? No. Do you like being outside? No. That's going to be a tough jump for you, right? So sometimes the jump from the what to the how is hard. What I want to challenge you with is move from the what to the why. For some of you, that might be your first step. Everybody say why. When we move from the what and the how to the why, we start to get under the surface. Why do I care about this? What is my motivation? And to be honest, for some of you, you're there. I want to get in shape. I want to I, I feel better. I want to look better. I, I, I want to be filled up. I want to feel closer to Jesus. I want to have a better marriage. I want to be a better parent. All of us can come up. It's not for a lack of desire sometimes that we struggle with this. But the last piece of that that we forget is the who. Everybody say who. If you really peel it back, every single one of us is trying to be someone. You may not fully understand that, but if you're here and your goal is over there, the real motivation behind everything that you do is a man or woman that you want to become. And it might just be the image that somebody else is putting out on their highlight reel on social media. I want a marriage like that. I want a body like that. I want to be a parent like that. I want to make that much money. I want to have that kind of house or drive that kind of car. Every single one of us is trying to be somebody, and the world hasn't quite got that figured out yet. Because when you don't know who you are, the world will gladly tell you who you are. Amen? They will put labels on you, and you will get all confused. The beauty of it is followers of Jesus, we have that already. We have that spoken over us. A couple weeks ago, we went to Acts chapter 2, and we were looking at the story of the early church. And what we discovered is that God's people had this keen awareness that they were living into something bigger. They were living into a story that's bigger than themselves. And if you just strip it all away, and if you just picked up your Bible and you started reading uh, about the story of the early church in the book of Acts, and this is what Paul's trying to communicate in all his epistles, in all his New Testament letters, this is who you are. 
You don't have to ask the world for who you are. You don't have to live your life running around and trying to figure out who you are. This is who you are. And they actually believed it. They started to live like this extended family that loved each other and cared for each other. They were full-time followers. They were students. They were disciples of Jesus. And last but not least, they believed that they were sent. They were full-time missionaries. And every single aspect of their life was oriented around telling as many people as they could about the good news of Jesus. I mean, it changed everything for them. So you might say for the early followers of Jesus, their identity fueled their activity. Their who informed their why. And their why informed their how. And their how informed how they lived. They lived very, very intentionally based on who they believe God had said they already are. Identity fuels activity. Let me make it really practical for you, uh, and I experienced this in a personal way this last weekend. The last 72 hours, this building has been a buzz. There was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mothers and sons and dads and daughters and grandpas and aunts and uncles and grandmas and friends and family friends. It was just awesome. Praise God for our children and family teams that did an amazing job the last few nights. It was awesome. Personally, I had an experience with uh, the, the daddy-daughter dance. It's a highlight for us every year. And, uh, and I, I will tell you what, to see a church full of dads from a variety of backgrounds all come together under the one motivation <laughs> that they know who they are. That regardless of whether they are, they are the father, they are a positive male role model and influence in that daughter's life. And a lot of them, uh, you know, went out to eat with their the special girl in their life, and they got all dolled up, and you could see guys coming in wearing suits and all of that, and all dressed to the nines. They came in, they, they, they came, and they went to a mermaid-themed dance for two hours and ate a ton of goldfish and, and, and took mermaid pictures together and did a mermaid crab, dolphin mermaid craft or something uh, like that, and then they were home by 8.45. <laughs> Ask any of those guys, is that what you were doing 10 years ago on Friday night? Probably not, right? Hey, what did you do this weekend? Went to a mermaid dance, how about you, right? <laughs> In other words, when we took on that identity of a dad, or a grandpa, or an uncle, or a fatherly influence in somebody's life, that changed everything, right? Everything shifts. Now all of a sudden, I'm starting to take on some additional habits and even disciplines and rhythms in my life that speak to who I am now. I go to mermaid dances. That's what I do. This is what we do on the weekend, right? Because of who I am. And I doubt that there was a guy there on Friday night, and I know not a lady there on Saturday night, that regretted one moment of it. And do you know why those dances are so powerful? Because people are living into who they know that they are. And I wonder if it could be the same for us as followers of Jesus, that we don't have to run around looking for the world to tell us who we are. We already know. So back to Acts chapter 2, if we're family, that means we're adopted. If we're disciples, that means that Jesus has chosen us. If we're missionaries, that means we're sent. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt who we are. And so before we even get to spiritual disciplines, now all of a sudden it changes everything because our identity fuels our activity. I'm a part of this family here at Hope Elam. I've been been adopted. (laughs) Every single one of us 
Not just in an earthly sense, we've been adopted even bigger than that. You are a part of God's family. And when you've been running all over and spending most of your life looking for acceptance and belonging, God's sitting there right there with his hands, his arms open to you, say, you belong. I've adopted you, and I love you with an everlasting love, with a love that is stronger than any other force in the universe. Amen? I've already adopted you. Not only that, but my son Jesus, he's chosen you. He looks at you this morning, he says, I choose you. This is your identity now. Christianity isn't a hobby. It's an identity. Follow Jesus. And last but not least, we're missionaries. We're servants. We've been sent. And the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you today. What if we actually lived into that? What would it look like if we actually believed that we were a family of missionary disciples in the city of Des Moines? How would the city look different? Because we let our who determine our what. And so when we get to that now, it's, it starts to totally make sense. We, we live into this activity for Jesus. It would be no different. At the same time, we know that following Jesus takes intentionality. I can sit back and rest in my identity, or I can step into it, and I can live like it's true. Following Jesus takes a life of intentionality and commitment and discipline, and nobody knows that better than these athletes that most likely you and I have been watching uh, over the last week. Anybody Olympics fans, Winter Olympics fans out there? Gotcha. So um, one of the things I love about watching the Olympics is watching events and just being thrilled with it. Like, there is no way that my body could ever do something like that, right? This, This snowboarder from Japan getting 30 feet above the plat, like, that is, it's just crazy, and it's insane, and I watch some of these events, and I go, there's no way I could do that. These are like superhuman feats, and they're going down the, the hill, or they're, they're doing the, the, the luge, or the skeleton, which is a, a sport designed to, to die, and all of those things as you're, you're going down the hill, and all these sports are incredible, these superhuman feats, and then there's curling, and I don't know what happened, but these guys look like a bunch of dads from Minnesota that just showed up and said, hey, we'll be in the Olympics, sign us up, right? I don't know what happens with curling, but I think the World Olympic Committee got together and said, oh, all these sports are too hard. We got to design a, 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 a sport that, that ordinary men and women could do. So we're going to drop a big old circular rock on the ground and see who can mop the floor the fastest, and we'll put it on ice just for fun. And that'll be curling. And I, what I love about curling is that these guys kind of look like me, like they got a little bit of a dad bod going there, you know? Like, I can identify with them. I tell you that to tell you this. Some of you look at spiritual disciplines the same way. Oh, I could never be a snowboarder like that guy, that lady. I could never pray like her. They, they, they raise their hands in worship. They must have a special connection to God. I don't know anything about, I don't know, I don't know the half of what they know about the Bible. I just don't think I'm as spiritual as them. Following Jesus is for everybody. Following Jesus is an all play. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You know how to pray. It lives, he's in you. He He couldn't be closer. His love, he loves you more than you will ever know. The spirit of God lives inside of you and so we're called to step into that. But the reality is with these Olympians, is that they have reoriented their entire life around this singular identity, who they are. I am an Olympian. 
Therefore, I have this motivation for four years from now, and I'm going to come up with this set of disciplines, the how and the what of living into that identity. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. Just like these Olympians, it's doing the disciplines that nobody else sees that produces the results that everyone wants. Let me say that one more time. Go ahead a couple slides. It's doing, go ahead and go to the next one. There you go. It's doing the disciplines that no one sees that produce the results that everyone wants. Olympians don't show up every four years. It's hours and hours and hours of total focus and dedication. And so a simple definition of spiritual disciplines is this. Doing the disciplines, doing the practices that Jesus did in order to live the life that Jesus lived. After all, Jesus is the goal, amen? He's our focus. It's not a list. It's not some arbitrary goal that I have to be a better person or to be a better version of myself. The focus and the goal of our lives, the why behind the what, is I have been called to be like Jesus. That is the focus of spiritual disciplines. And a different way of looking at that is not just what Jesus said, but what he did. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly modeling for us what it looks like to be holy and whole. Not just holy, yes, oh, Jesus was the holiest, the the perfect image of a human being. Jesus also modeled for us how to be healthy underneath the hood underneath the surface, and to set up healthy habits and and rhythms and boundaries in his life. There's this story in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus has been very, very busy, and most likely he's been healing people, he's been preaching, he's been casting out demons, and most likely he's exhausted, physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted. And the crowds are pushing around him all the way up to the sea, so much so that they, they push him on the beach, and then he gets in the boat, and Jesus is teaching And he's at the height of his popularity. He's a celebrity. He's got everything going for him. And what does Jesus do? Uh, Guys, let's get in the boat. Let's go. He left. Jesus literally left with all of the expectations and demands just left right in front of him. At a time when you and I would cave to the expectations and demands of the world around us, Jesus had healthy boundaries. Jesus knew who he was, why he was doing it, and the how and the what followed. Jesus practiced the pause. Not not in the morning with my God time. Jesus practiced the pause, meaning all throughout his day, on a regular basis, he would just get away. And Jesus got up early and left. And Jesus was surrounded by the crowds, and Jesus left. And off he went, because Jesus knew something that you and I often forget is that regular, consistent intimacy with the Father is the source of our rest and our strength and our life. And a lot of us say, I want more peace in my life. I hear people say all the time, I just want more peace in my life. I I, I don't want to be so anxious. I want to have more hope in my life. I want to have more joy in my life. And Jesus says, you can this morning, but you've got to stay connected to me. Practice the pause. 
How, how did Jesus have the strength to do that, to just leave that? Because some of you are like, I don't think I could do that because I want to please everybody around me and I want to live up to the hype and I want to run at the pace of everybody around me. And everybody around me doesn't have time for worship or a small group or prayer, so why should I? Because that's the world we live in. And Jesus says, not so with you because you know who you are. Because you're a full-time follower of Jesus. You've been adopted. You've been chosen. And so you're living a brand new life. How did Jesus have the strength to do that? He knew who he was. And because he'd spent all that time with the Father. Because when you have heard the whisper of heaven, you don't have to pander to the roar of the crowd. Whatever the crowd is for you, Whatever the noise is in your life, whether it's out there or it's right here in front of you on your phone, there's a lot of noise in our lives. Who are you listening to? What would it look like if the first and maybe most important spiritual discipline in your life was pausing throughout the day? What would that look like for you? Jesus says, I've got a deeper purpose and so my life is going to look a little bit different. Jesus had this constant connection with the Father, and you think about it, we need to remember that when we talk about the what, because when we start talking about spiritual disciplines, notice, I haven't even gotten to what you should do yet. That's very, very clear. There's a class that's starting today online, a self-paced class that one of our pastors, Pastor Caroline, wrote specifically for this sermon, and you can start that today on your own time, at your own pace, and you can dive deeper into the what. But the reason I didn't start here is this is why Jesus got so frustrated with the Pharisees, because they started with everything on the outside and said, this is what you need to be holy. And Jesus says, that's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is who God says you are. That's where the motivation comes from. That's where the desire comes from. And Jesus knew that. That disciplines apart from relationship are empty. And you think about that, that should be second nature to us. So we, we, with the people that we know and love, the reason that we want to be with them, the reason that we enjoy their presence is because we love them. You love being with the people that you love. It brings you great joy to bring delight to them. Healthy relationships are full of delight, not duty. <laughs> Health, any relationship, a romantic relationship, a, a, a friendship, being in a small group, being in church together, we don't, we're not obligated. It's out of a delight to serve and love each other. It's Valentine's Day tomorrow. This gentleman, this is your public service announcement. So a couple days ago, I, um, I just decided I couldn't help myself. So I just went and I got a bouquet of roses um, and something to drink for my wife. And we, I came home and she'd had a long, hard day. And I just, I, just, I just did this, you know, as a kind of a precursor to Valentine's Day. She kind of had a hard day. Now, just imagine that it, it, uh, it was, I'm getting home from work. I actually did get flowers. Normally, I would get Starbucks and a wad of cash, knowing my wife. But I got flowers, and I came in the door. I didn't do this, but what if I came in the door, and I want to be all romantic and everything, and I have this big bouquet of flowers behind my back, and she says, oh, honey, you're home. You know, it's getting close to Valentine's Day, so I don't walk over. I sashay over. And I say, honey, I'm home, and I got you this giant bouquet of flowers. And as she always does, she says, oh, honey, you're the greatest husband ever. Oh, this is amazing. You love me so well. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's spend the whole night together. Oh, you got that for me? You didn't have to. 
And what if I responded, actually, I did. It is my husband duty off my checklist for the week. Uh, husband number 4.2 checklist. Bring wife flowers, act romantic, and smile and give her a kiss on the cheek. Check, I am good for a month. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not what I want. She wants me to do it because it brings me great joy to love her. Relationships are about delight, not duty. And some of you have been living your entire adult Christian life doing all of these disciplines. Prayer, scripture, confession, solitude, fasting, worship, serving, community, out of pure obligation. I was so excited to bring her those flowers because it brings me great joy to love and serve her. And my challenge to you this week is what if you stop trying to impress God and everybody else with all of your disciplines and you just remembered why you love God in the first place. Amen? That's the heartbeat of spiritual disciplines. Apart from relationship, they are empty. They're empty. In the same way that I tried to make the week of one lady in my life there's another young lady in my life that reminded me about the heart of God. Ryan, our social media guy, was running around and took this picture of us. If you skip ahead a couple slides. On the, yes, you can get all of your awes out right now. That's right. We were um, driving home from the daddy-daughter dance on Friday. And I want you to keep in mind something. This is like a six-year-old girl's dream, okay? Going to a mermaid dance... Okay, that's all decorated like mermaids. I went out to a fancy restaurant with my daddy beforehand. I have my hair all decked out and curled. I have lipstick on. I have this dress that I've been wanting to wear for a couple years. I've been counting down the days to this. I go and there's games and crafts and a buffet of snacks that are fit for a queen. All these things. We're driving home and I say, honey, what was your favorite part of the daddy-daughter dance? think, you know, any of those things. And she goes, um, you know, it was probably the snacks. Yeah, the snacks. That's what I liked. And I'm sitting there going, I, yeah, I, I'm an awesome dad. I just rocked it. And she goes, she goes, no, dad, I'm just joking. Oh, thanks, Ev. In a very practical way, she just goes, actually, dad, the most important thing, my favorite thing was just being together. And you can think that's cute all day long. Or I can tell you this, that nothing has taught me more about being a son than becoming a father. Some of you are going to get that on the way home. Nothing has taught me more about being a son of God than becoming a father and seeing my kids through that lens. And we make spiritual disciplines and following Jesus so complicated. What Bible study should I do? What small group should I be in? Should I go to church today or not? You know, I'm not very good at praying, so I'm never going to pray out loud because somebody might laugh at me, and I don't really know how to start reading the Bible and all these things. And God looks at you and says, you know what my favorite part is? Being together. Being with you. And if you take nothing else from this message today, go into your week knowing that there's nothing more than your Father in Heaven 
wants than to fill you up with his love today, to be with you, to remind you of who you are, that you cannot earn something that you already have, and that is his love and his acceptance. He wants to light the fire again. He wants to bring you back to his first, your first love, to where you first spent time together, and you weren't thinking about a to-do list. You were just being together. Learn to see yourself the way that God sees you, and let your who, who you are, determine what you do. Amen? Amen. Whether you're online or in the room, let's stand together. We're going to close and worship and remind us of this God that we love. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.